For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's study, we take a look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about the power of our words, how they have the power of life and of death, and how important it is to use wisdom and restraint when speaking. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Taming the Tongue. All right, let's get started. Who's ready to get more wise? I know I am. I need it. Let's ask the Lord to help us toward that end. Now, Heavenly Father, we just, um, first of all, just quiet our hearts before you. We ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd prepare us and to change our hearts. Lord, help us to desire to cling to every word of the scriptures and, Lord, to want to be changed. And there's a lot of convicting um, passages tonight to think about how we use our tongue and the words that we say and how careless we can be and how serious the consequences. Now, Lord, we, we want to be good stewards of the, the, the language and life that you've given us. So help us to hear what your spirit is saying. Make the necessary corrections, Lord, and put your truths into practice. Be a blessing to you and to others. In Christ's name, amen. Well, whoever came up with the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me, was not living in reality, I think. Uh, or never spent much time reading the Bible, that's for sure. Uh, because if you read the Bible, you would see that words have the power of life and of death. And uh, 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 a word can break a bone. In fact, uh, King David, who's a, a, a man's man, as we say, a warrior, a Bible hero, uh, he says in Psalm 42 and verse 10, of the tauntings of the enemy, he says, the taunts of the enemy breaks my bones. And so just the pain that uh, words can cause us, and it's not so much what happens to us, uh, one writer said, is what happens in us. Those things can last for many, many years and be so formative uh, to our very lives. Now, after nine full chapters in the book of Proverbs, uh, we've come to the actual Proverbs starting in chapter 10. And the actual Proverbs, as we've uh, been talking about, are those little one verse, two verse, little sound bites of truth and wisdom. Uh, and they're, they're not connected for, there's no rhyme or reason from 10 to 29. That's a lot of chapters of just buckshot of the, here's this saying and here's this saying and it would be smart if you did that and it'd be really dumb if you did that. And uh, so, uh, so commentators and pastors are always get to chapter 10 and a sort of a dilemma. How do you teach that? So there's an average of 30 proverbs per chapter starting in chapter 10 all the way to chapter 29. So that's about 600 Proverbs, right? So now I'm thinking if we just buckle our seatbelts, you have two choices here. You, you buckle the seatbelt and you just dive through. And depending on your preaching, teaching style, Chuck Smith, 
He's just like, okay, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1. Bam. He's just going to go <clears throat> straight through. Of course, he took an hour and a half uh, for a Sunday night service. Uh, but he would just spend maybe a minute or two on each little unrelated verse. And so if you're that kind of preacher teacher, you can do that. Um, my style doesn't really lend itself to that. I mean, I could preach a sermon with two words, and you know that. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, one time I got up and I, in, at Calvary Petaluma, and I said, Simon Peter, I was reading, you know, and I stopped there. That's the text. And, and I preached this whole thing on uh, before we come to Christ, who we are, what Simon meant, what Simon was like before he met Jesus. And then Peter, Jesus changing his name to Peter and what that meant. And his life after finding Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. I could do it right now. I feel it coming on. <laughs> So yeah, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work to just, just say, you know, it is, you would, what's your takeaway? Well, you'd have 30 different topics to take away, right? So I would rather, and a lot of commentators do it this way, pick the prevalent themes and pull the relevant proverbs that address that prevalent theme together and teach that topic. And then you, put, you, you come away with, as you will tonight, uh, the main umbrella verse here is Proverbs uh, 18, actually, and verse 24, and I think I have it for you. Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat, eat its fruits. And what that, that's from the ESV. And really that last part, we get the death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so that's what we're going to talk about our words tonight. Uh, but what does it mean that those who love it will eat of its fruit? It's really saying those who love to talk will bear the consequences. It's really a warning, you know, I and mean, you could bear the the, the pleasant consequences as well. But in the context of where it's placed, it's really saying, and the Hebrew, it's really saying death and life. There's power of, of blessing and, and uh, power of death and destruction uh, by our words. And those who love to talk really are, are going to fall into trouble if they're not careful. And uh, so the outline for tonight with the umbrella verse of being our words and the power of the tongue and life and death will be, uh, first of all, I want to talk to you about why words matter. Some people don't even think words matter at all. Uh, secondly, the words that cause death will start there, uh, the wrong use and the destructive use of our tongue. And then we'll finish on a positive note, words that give life. Words that give life, the right use, what God, how God wants us to uh, use our words and the voice that he's given us to build people up and to um, encourage one another. So uh, let's dive in. Why do my words and your words matter? Um, why does what I say really mean anything at all, you know? Um, it's something that we realize. We, we realize that our words are important, um, but all too often we just forget. So words matter because uh, it's a divine blessing to be able to speak words and to have language. Language is what separates you and me from animals, all right? I, I mean, we bear God's image, and in that, we are able to speak words. 
to be like God. The animals don't share that capacity. You know, I mean, Dr. Doolittle and all of that, and Mr. Ed, yeah, the talking horse, it's amazing. But no, the only creatures on the planet that talk are me and you. It is a honor and a privilege and, and, and actually an evidence of the Almighty that we communicate with words. It's really quite fascinating. Uh, birds fly and bees buzz and fish swim and kangaroos hop and humans speak. Trees don't speak, mountains, everything else that God created, they don't give voice. Jesus said if we didn't give voice, he could make the rocks sing. But I'll tell you what, man, the mountains, the trees, the sun, moon, and stars, they can't verbalize. So why words matter is because it's a gift of God. It's a sacred um, blessing. And, and as a result of that, there's accountability. So words matter just because also the sheer volume in our lives. I mean, all, I mean, yes, humans speak. And boy, do we ever. We, do, we speak 700 times a day. 700 times we are speaking in one day. It is incredible. And why words matter is the sheer volume of, that's how we do life. We don't do life without words. The way we do God's will is all language, all words, all the time. And then uh, the average person, person speaks 11 million words a year. Now, if you take a thick uh, novel, and you can imagine all the words in there, right? That's 22 novels you fill with your words. That's, that's a lot of talking. Now, it seems hard to believe. Some of our relatives are more believable with that statistic than others. Amen. Well, apparently, some of those relatives are sitting next to you, so you're, you're a little nervous. Uh, it's okay. Um, we're, we're among friends here. That is 715 million words by the time you're, you're 65 years old. That's a lot of words. I mean, even if it's not 700 times a day, what if it's 350? Or what if it's 175? What do you do 175 times a day? You know, if you're doing it 175 times a day, but they say you do it a lot more than that, then it's important. It matters. It's because it's kind of like what we do. All right. Why do words matter? I'm glad you're asking me because I want to <laughs> tell you. They matter because they're so powerfully, uh, they have such powerful potential to do good or bad. Words can create trust. They form relationships. They build community. They encourage. They heal hurts. Uh, they teach. They point people to Christ. They preach the gospel, right? I mean, the tongue of the wise brings healing. So that, there's another uh, proverb along these lines. And, and at the same time, in the same breath, they can also ruin trust and they can also destroy relationships and they can also divide communities and they can, instead of blessing God, they can profane his name. They can discourage and tear down and wound and ruin a person's life um, with persuasive words she led him astray. Proverbs Chapter seven, and James will tell us, hey, you know, the tongue is really small. It's just a small little 
thing. It's a small part of our body. And yet, it does tremendous damage. And he goes on later, we'll talk about what he thinks about the tongue. And it's not very good. It's the unregenerated tongue that he's talking about. Uh, he'll say, small bits in large horses, you can control them. And he'll go on to say, small rudders in huge ships, you control that vessel. And then he'll say, Likewise, and I may or may not have it, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest fire, forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Well, how do you really feel about it? Well, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, James is kind of famous for just being a straight shooter. I mean, he grew up in the house with the Lord Jesus Christ as his half-brother. So we can understand that he's pretty serious, and uh, that is pretty serious. He's talking about the unregenerated heart and the tongue that is being prompted by the sinful nature there. And that, unfortunately, that happens a lot. So uh, the tongue is pretty versatile. Thank you for that. Uh, with the same tongue, we use it to pr bless God and to praise his name and uh, also curse our friends. And uh, with the same uh, tongue, we bind up the brokenhearted and we also stab somebody in the back. So it's very versatile, the tongue. Uh, with words that we can take a person down, you know, uh, we can, uh, or we can build them up. Or we can talk them off of the ledge with our words. How else do you talk somebody off the Golden Gate Bridge? I mean, they do it all the time. They negotiate. They, they use their words. And then the weird thing is, is that maybe malicious words is what put the guy up there in the first place. And so it's a very um, versatile you go from uh, very good to very evil. And so that, because of the ability to speak, that it's an enablement from God, it's a sacred stewardship uh, as such. And because we use words to accomplish good or evil, and we do it all day long, then we will give an account. And this is why words matter. We will give an account. God will judge us by our words. Christians and non-Christians. Matthew chapter 12 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things, Jesus speaking, out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why do words matter? Right there, verse 37. For by your words, not even so much your life, but your words tell us, you're looking at somebody's life, you don't really know why they're doing what they're doing, but their words are coming out and revealing what's truly the essence, the intent, the motivation, the character of that person is revealed by the words. So Jesus is saying, just heads up on that day, we're just gonna play the tape. We're just gonna listen to the words and let you tell the story. 
And there'll be nothing to say, well, I didn't mean it and what I meant by that. No, 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 no. I misspoke. Yeah, <laughs> you misspoke. Yeah, uh, seriously. And, and more than that, he's saying there, everyone, everyone. Do you see that? Everyone, Christians and non-Christians. We will answer. So the Christians, believers, have a, uh, have a evaluation where there'll be loss of reward for, for nonsense spoken and for bad, uh, useless, fruitless words. And so we lose reward for that. Your soul is saved, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. It says you will lose reward for unfaithfulness and bad things that we do. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for everything we've done in our body, good and bad, just quoting the scripture. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to Christians. No unbeliever goes before the judgment seat of Christ. They go before the great white throne and that always ends in condemnation and ours always ends in either reward or loss of reward and a saved soul. But your words count. And you're either accruing reward through the good stewardship and wise use of your words or you're forfeiting reward even as we speak. Even today, some of us missed out on reward because we were careless. And he says, look, the careless, empty words are all going to come and they're going to be important. So we have to care about that. So words matter because Jesus says every last one of them... The well-intentioned, the carefully crafted words, and the idle, careless ones. The blowing off of steam and the whispering something in secret that we should have never said. Those words are going to matter. So, uh, why do words matter? They matter because they set us apart from animals. They're divine enablements and make us accountable. It's because we use them so often, 700 times a day. It's how we conduct our lives. And they matter because there's either positive, uh, wonderful things that are life-giving and God-pleasing, or they're terrifying, devastating, hurtful things uh, that uh, impact other people's lives. So words matter. So... We'll want to use them correctly, not misuse them. And uh, we all know there's no limit on how we can sin with our words. So let's talk about how we sin with our words. We are our point number two. The wrong use of words that cause death and destruction. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So let's talk about the death part. Now, first of all, he says, Where there are many words, sin is not absent. So I really like this scripture. I think I have this one too. In um, when when words are many, seven hundred times a day, (laughs) transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's ESV. Then the New Living Translation cuts to the chase, which I love. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Come on, you've got to love the NLT, man. I love the NLT. And it's very accurate, too. You know, a lot of scholars like the NLT. Uh, It's not so much a paraphrase as you think. There's no additional ideas in the new NLT. Like the message, the message, you'll find stuff that's not in the text, right? That's a true paraphrase. It's like you can, 
you'll read something, it's like, where's that in the Greek? It's not, it's added, right? NLT tried to stick to the manuscripts and just kind of catch the uh, idea there. But I digress. So let's talk about this. <clears throat> the problem is, since we do it 700 times a day and you open the, the spigot 700 times a day in a me, uh, 11 million words a year, and the heart is the source that's prompting those words. And the heart in the Christian is a work in progress. That's called sanctification. That the heart by itself without the Holy Spirit and even with the Holy Spirit is broken and sinful and corrupt. And, and that sinful nature, the old person survived conversion. He's supposed to be rendered debt to death. You're supposed to put that thing to death every day, but it's there. And so to just 700 times a day, you better be really careful when you open up the valve to that heart because Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the lips speak. So if the heart, if the well water's bad, and sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's poisonous. Sometimes it's sweet and pure and fresh when it's coming from the Holy Spirit and from heaven. But James tells us there's another source in there that has its root down below. So you have to be, you know, you got hot and cold, right? And you're really careful about hot and cold, right? Or you're going to get, you know, a shock or a lot of pain, right? When you step into the shower. Well, when you step into life and you're just like, whatever, whatever, just let it go. And I don't know what she was thinking because you know what I think? Oh, Jesus is saying, you're on the clock. You are on the judgment clock every time, 24-7, not just here. I know you think you're on the clock here. And on Sundays, right? But you're on the clock in the car. You're on the clock in your bedroom. You're on the clock everywhere when you take a walk, when nobody's looking. Oh, all of that is counting. It's counting. It's counting. So he says, watch it. Watch it because when there are a lot of words, so don't. So use your words sparingly. Think before you speak because you're going to be judged for them. And they have so much power to do good and, and to do bad. A careless word. My word. I still smart from things people said. They weren't even thinking or trying to hurt me. And I'm speaking for many people here. How about the ones who just got angry and just blew some steam and bam, and you're still holding your side 30 years later. Oh my word, they're powerful, they're powerful, they're powerful. So he says, you just need to just slow down and don't talk so much, you know? Um, so caution is advised. Because the heart, the heart is doing the prompting, right? So if the heart is angry, you're going to get some mean-spirited words. If the heart is resentful, if the heart is envious, if the heart is hurt. See, these are moods that happen to you all day long. When you get disappointed, when somebody hurts your feelings, when you're feeling a little like somebody just stepped on your toes, you're ready. The heart is ready. Oh, I want to just spring into action and respond with words, right? And, and that's what Jesus is saying, where there are a lot of words like that because the heart is being cleansed and worked on. It's not all the way there yet. Don't open the spigot. 
That's what he's saying. A wise man holds his tongue. Only a fool blurts out everything he knows. That only leads to sorrow and trouble. That's Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 14. You know what I like? I like when he says in Proverbs 17, uh, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. That's one way to be smart. Just be quiet. (laughs) He is uh, considered wise when he closes his lips. Uh, He is deemed as intelligent. So he says, listen, if you're always talking, uh, you're going to be always sinning. So slow it down. Uh, Despite, uh, you know, you need to pray for me. Uh, Preachers and pastors, we share this common thing. This is why James says, uh, you should not want to be on the platform as a speaker for the Lord because I'm going to be judged at a stricter standard than you all. I've got to watch everything. And and if you're an extemporaneous kind of preacher, that's so dangerous because you know what comes into your mind you don't always have to give voice to. Amen? What? (laughs) All right. So it's hard to restrain your words. But James will just tell you, listen, you don't want to restrain your words? Then your Christianity is worthless. James says... Whoever does not keep a tight rein on their tongue only deceives, deceives themselves because if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion, your walk with God is worthless. As a Christian, yeah, you're loved. Yes, you're going to heaven. But your life here is of no value to God because you're constantly doing the wrong thing with your words. It's hard to restrain your words. Uh, I read a funny little thing here. An English country churchyard epitaph epitaph was fading. Uh, It's faded there. It's hard to see. It's a gray slate tombstone over there in Great Britain. And it says the words, beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. I think for the first time. So I guess that's the humor in it, is that, yeah, sometimes it takes death uh, to stop some people. (laughs) She has a lot of self-control right now. All right, so... Poor Annabelle. Listen, let's talk about Annabelle because she's dead and gone. And and I hope that in some of her talking uh, that some of the words included, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive my sins and be my savior, right? Uh, But let's talk about poor Annabelle. Listen, number one, she's no fun to be around, you know, nor should we be around her. The Bible tells us, it says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Proverbs 20, verse 19. This is a soundbite from heaven, from Jesus to us and saying, listen, I'm going to tell you, don't hang around, Annabella. You, you, you can't do it for a couple reasons. Number one, you'll start imitating that behavior. Uh, bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Number two, you'll be her next victim. You, you think she's going to town about A, B, and C, people, right? And you're, and you're drinking it in. Well, little do you know, and let me assure you, 
you are next on the hit list every time. And thirdly, by the way, it is such an insult for a gossiper to talk to you because they deem you as themselves wanting to hear that kind of information. And so, in fact, the Bible says, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay attention to slander. Proverbs 17 and verse 4. It is not a compliment when someone comes to you with a divisive, sensitive, privileged information story that makes somebody vulnerable or look bad. It is an insult to you because they think you're going to gulp it down like the dainty morsel that that Proverbs describes those things to evildoers like that kind of thing. You in wisdom should stand up to that. So poor uh, Annabella, uh, she's hurt a lot of people, um, caused a lot of problems, and she's every pastor's nightmare. Listen, you know, somebody can commit adultery. That is horrifying. And, and, and God says that kind of behavior are people who are going to perish, right? I've never heard about an entire church collapsing over an adulterer, one adulterer out there. Never. I've never heard that. I've heard plenty of stories about people who can't keep their mouths shut, ruining churches, destroying them, shattering them all over town because of a couple people like this. It's a serious sin. It is a serious sin. Poor Annabella. And the butt of everyone's jokes, you know, because everybody knows Annabella or whoever, Aaron. Let's call him, pick an A name here. Sorry, Aaron. What's up? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I just, I saw the A and I just went for an A word. Okay, let's just say Abraham. There's no Abraham here. Right? Good. Abraham. All right. We're off of Aaron. So let's look at a few of the most common sins of the tongue. So we've been talking about kind of gossip, okay? <clears throat> Here's what gossip is, all right? In the Old Testament especially, gossip is defined this way. They have privileged information about uh, people or proceedings that reveals uh, and reveals that information to those who have no business uh, having it or knowing it. Um, it's the idea of getting into everybody's personal uh, business and causing trouble and sticking their noses where they don't belong. Now, two things about gossip. Number one, gossipers, um, the intent is important here and the information itself. The intent. The gossiper's uh, goal uh, is building themselves up by making others look bad and exalting themselves, you know, how good and smart and clever they are compared to <laughs> this idiot, all right? And then uh, the information itself that a gossip brings is it speaks of the faults and failings of others and reveals a potentially embarrassing or shameful details regarding others without their knowledge or approval. You see, no one gossips about somebody's secret virtues, all right? It's always a gossip about something that will leave a person vulnerable and usually you looking a whole lot better, all right? And so that's why the human heart wants to do that. Uh, and even if you mean no harm, uh, it's still gossip. 
here's the scripture here. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. How many of you have been a victim of some form of gossip? Raise your hand. Yeah, the whole bunch of us, right? And it hurts. And there's not a thing you could do about it. Not a thing you could do. And the more you try to validate yourself and correct things, the more you look like a fool. And it just, just backfires. You're just in a trap. It's just so ugly. Let me tell you, a person <clears throat> known for gossiping goes to their rabbi. Story I read. And uh, yeah, uh, the, it says, Rabbi, I spread a whole lot of nonsense uh, about a couple people rubbed me the wrong way. So um, I just want to ask forgiveness and ask you what I should do. And the rabbi says, uh, I want you to take this down pillow, um, this down feathered pillow, and I want you to go up to the roof. There's a little door up there, the top of the synagogue, and I want you to take this pocket knife, slit it open, and bang that pillow and let all those feathers just out, just let them out, you know, so... It's like, why do you want me to do that? He goes, then come back and talk to me. So uh, the person goes up to the roof, does the thing, and the wind picks up and carries them in every direction and pretty soon can't see them. He comes back in, or she, and says um, to the rabbi, okay, now what's up? Tell me, what was that all about? And he says, okay, now I want you to go and get all of those little feathers and bring them back to me. He goes, Come on. That's impossible. King, I don't even know where they all went. The wind just took them. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone forever. I can't. I, they're, just, they're everywhere. Oh. It's impossible now. It's too late. The damage is done. You can do nothing. You can sob and cry and feel terrible and know that you're forgiven while the other person writhes in pain and is humiliated and has to suffer the consequences because the feathers went out. There's nothing you can do. And the emailing thing and the tweeting, you know, I, I mentioned this on Sunday. You just should not tweet. You should detweet <laughs> or untweet or, you know, uh, even politicians can't figure it out. They're always taking, trying to take things back or explain what they were doing. Listen, nothing can be done to fix the damage. And who's holding you responsible for that? Just Jesus, the Lord of glory. He just said, you're going to talk to me about that. We're going to talk. And then, bing, there goes a reward. There goes a reward. Because you didn't have the wherewithal to just, just not say it. As much joy as it would have given your sinful soul to have gone out and just give him a little jab because you might even be right in your thinking in a worldly sense that they sort of deserved it. Just not going to reap very good uh, benefits there. So, yeah, um, the next thing, quarreling. Whoever loves a quarrel loves, to, uh, loves sin. Proverbs 17, 19. So quarreling is a sin. There are people just like to just, to just quarrel for the sake of quarreling. I mean, really, it's a contentious person. They just like to, they always see, I just like to play the devil's advocate. Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to play anything with the devil's name in it myself. You know, I'm just like playing the devil's advocate. Well, well 
I just like to team up with Lucifer. You know, what are you saying? Stop it already. Amen? All right. How about the next sin, flattery? Proverbs says this about flattering. It says uh, that they're spreading a net for your feet. That's what Proverbs says. Amen. So, you know, watch out for that flattery. And why do uh, we do it? We do it. We do. We just get intimidated and we want them to like us or something. So we just pour it on. It just not good. Just be honest. And then there's slander. The Greek word is diabolos, where we get the word devil. Okay. So to be a slanderer, technically, is to be a devil. Yeah, that's enough reason not to talk smack about people, right? Because slander is to uh, bring a story about somebody that's malicious. It could be even true, but it's a mean-spirited story uh, meant to damage another person's reputation. That's what slander is. And that's, that it just, that's what devil is, because that's the word that's used. And why, does it, why is it used of Satan? Because uh, he's always trying to convince you that God is bad and trying to convince God that you are sinful and unworthy. So he's the accuser of you before God. And he's also God's accuser to you. So that's what he does. So uh, you don't want to be that way. Uh, Galatians chapter five says, listen, for the law, the whole Old Testament is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That is slander. So we talked about quarreling and flattery and slander and gossip and speaking of the devil, lying. Now lying, (laughs) Jesus said in John chapter eight, the devil's a liar, he's the father of lying. And when he speaks, he's speaking lie. That's, That's a language. Uh, just all he does is lie. He can't, he can't ever tell the truth. His native tongue, Jesus says in John 8, I love that. His native tongue is called lie. And then we speak his tongue. That's another reason I never want to lie because I'm speaking his language. And we're pretty good at that language. That's so sad. There are six or seven reasons we all like to lie. Number one, uh, to avoid punishment or accountability. Number two, to avoid embarrassment. Number three, we lie to cover up a sin. So we, <laughs> we, we sin and then we lie. So we sin to cover up the sin which covers up the other sin, and yeah, it doesn't work, okay? Um, And uh, number four, we lie out of an act of aggression to inflict pain. Number five, we lie to manipulate people, to exploit them, to get what we want. Number six, uh, we lie to make people think more highly of of ourselves. Uh, And number seven, we lie to justify our sin. I'm not really gossiping. I'm sharing a prayer request, okay? Right, or whatever, sorry. I'm not really, oh, oh, okay. I'm not saying that every time you share a prayer request that it's gossiping. There are things we all need to know. There are hurtful things. There are things that go on in churches that need to come to the light. That's godly, that's right. 
But I think the Holy Spirit has let all grown adults who are reasonable know the difference between saying, hey, did you, hey, Pastor Ross, this is going on. You gotta, you know, help. You gotta get involved here. That's a lot different, and we're praying, than what true gossip is. And uh, the Holy Spirit, I know, shows us the difference, right? Hello, you out there? Okay, I was talking to you just a second ago. Um, I thought there was a rapture and I got left behind. So uh, let me put it to you this way. Um, so we're forewarned. A fool's mouth is his, is on his undoing, Proverbs 18:7, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And then again, forewarned, those who guard their tongues keep themselves from calamity, Proverbs 21 and verse 23. No wonder the psalmist says, Lord, keep a, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Okay, let's finish up with um, the fountain of life, okay? The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I think I have that there. Uh, we'll finish on a positive note. So the Holy Spirit comes in, Acts chapter 2, and goes to the source of the problem. Now, catch this. This is amazing stuff. Uh, he knows where the problem is, and the problem's not here. The problem's here, right? So in, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes into their hearts. Jesus promised and said, I will send the comforter, and he shall be with you, and he shall be in you. And so we receive the Holy Spirit. He goes straight to work on changing the heart. And what was the first evidence that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what was the first thing that happened is that he got control of the unruly, untamable member, the tongue, and showed it who's boss. And that is just not by coincidence that he's showing us that he alone, God alone, the Holy Spirit is the only one who could tame that beast. He changes the heart so it's not bitter and not wanting to resent, not wanting to strike out. And it wants to love and it wants to build up and it doesn't care if you got a promotion. It's not jealous that you got a brand new house. It's not jealous. It's happy for you because it's the Holy Spirit. And therefore the Holy Spirit's happy about your promotion and is going to say something that's fitting and not bitter or snug or sarcastic about it because prior to the Holy Spirit indwelling, you were envious and jealous and ready to hate at a drop of a hat. And so he changes the heart and right away you see everybody um, praising God with their tongues. They didn't even know what they were doing and the Holy Spirit saying, I ain't got a hold of this thing now. So the strategy is just to give God control of the spigot, right? To be filled with the Holy Spirit, to let him change the composition of our hearts. Uh, I love in John chapter four, Jesus with the woman at the well, right? They're having the story, you know, the talk. He's trying to get her involved in a spiritual conversation. It says, give me a drink. And she says, I notice you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I don't understand why you as a Jew are even talking to me and asking me for a drink. And Jesus says, well, actually, if you knew who I really was, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you a drink of living water. And so she's still not on board. And she says, you know, uh, you don't have a bucket. 
you don't even have a rope. What are you talking about this living water? Uh, and he says, I'm not talking about that. The water I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never have to come back here. Or that's what she thinks. I'll never have to come back here. And so he says, go get your husband. And so uh, I love this part. She says, um, actually, I don't have a husband. And, and he goes, you're actually right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband. So you've told me the truth. You don't have a husband. And she's like, <laughs> she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject. She says, so where are we supposed to worship God? We say it's on this hill. You guys say it's over there. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He says, listen, God is spirit. You worship him in spirit and truth, right? But he talks about this living water to her. And he says, listen, everyone who drinks the water, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And now the spirit is in them. Did you hear what he said? Once the spirit gets in you, it's going to well up with eternal realities. And now you're going to have the fruit of the spirit when you turn on the spigot. You're going to get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? And all the other stuff, he says, put that to death. Do not let it happen. Shut it off when you see it coming out. Only open to love and joy and peace and goodness. Well, that's impossible. No, it's not. Why would he ask us to do something that, that is impossible? He's telling us to do something that he will enable us to do. So we have a, a, an option. You know, we, we've got heaven or we've got hell, right? The fires of hell or the purity of heaven. And, and you make that choice every single moment you want to open up your mouth. You know, well, it's too much work to be thinking like this all the time. I talk too much, you may be thinking. It's worth making the effort to stop and think, or even while you're saying it, have you not been in this situation? I, I'm in this all the time. I'm about to say something, and the Holy Spirit goes, yoo-hoo, right there, just, just, Hits me, right? It's loading. The torpedo is loaded, right? And I, I get this little hand on my shoulder. Don't. don't. I, and it's like, bah, bah, bah. oh, I really want to. And he's like, mm, 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 mm. I get that. And sometimes I, anyway, right? I, I know I'm the only one who does that, right? And then afterwards, I'm like, oh. And then I try to go find that torpedo and bring it back, and that doesn't work, right? So he's always willing. He's willing. He's waiting. He's talking to us. Uh-uh, don't, 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 don't. And you know what? You'll be better off if you obey, if I obey. Now, instead of tearing people down or being jealous or quarrelsome, uh, we have love and patience inside of our hearts. Here's some Proverbs as we close now. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Proverbs 12, 25. Don't you want to be the person with a cup of cold water? You do realize Jesus was talking about affirming people for reward. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, if you give one of the least of my disciples a cup of cold water, not talking about giving someone a cup of cold water per se. It's really talking about refreshing one of his disciples. 
encouraging them with your words, man. He says, you won't lose your reward. Again, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Don't you want to be healing? You want to help somebody to heal? Your pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Uh, Proverbs 16 and 24, sweet to the soul and healing uh, to the bones. How many people have been encouraged, man, by people's words at the right time in the right place? One time, I just just couldn't go on. I was in chemotherapy and radiation, and uh, everything is all better now, as I often have to say to new people visiting. Uh, but this was 14 years ago. But a professor of mine, I'm struggling. I don't want to do the work. <clears throat> I'm really down and out. And we just had this little meeting in this little corner. And I remember it because the Holy Spirit anointed his words. And he just looked at me and he just burned a hole straight through me. And he said, don't give up. <clears throat> Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And for some reason, his words were so sweet and powerful. And it just really, I just lived on those words. And I went back to the face and the feeling and the, uh, I want to be like that. I want to be like that to other people. And we can, we can be like life givers. And instead of always tearing uh, people down or being a hindrance, or, or, or being careless with our words. And so that's really uh, the, the gist of um, encouraging people and edifying. I really like the filter here, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. <clears throat> Here's the filter. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up and according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. There's your, there's your filter for should I say it or not, right? Now, that doesn't just mean sweet, sugary things. It means hard truths, spoken truth in love, you know, because he, he does talk in, in uh, Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend, uh, but the deceitful are uh, m- multiply kisses, right? And then in Proverbs 17, 10, it says, a rebuke impresses a man, of discernment more than a hundred lashes of fool. So what's helpful isn't just always patting someone on the back and saying, yes, dear, you do whatever you want, right? This is encouragement, building people up, showing them the right way, even if it's the hard way or the inconvenient way. But it's done in love and with great uh, sensitivity. So wonderful things that we can do with our words speaking the truth, building people up. Uh, You know, I'm just thinking one thing I'd like to close with. You know, standing up to people when they're doing the wrong thing. I'll never forget when Barb came home from a church that we were involved in. And we were not, um, I was not the pastor. We were helping out, but we weren't officially on staff. And Barb was with a bunch of women And they got together and they just were tearing at the pastor's wife with Barb sitting there. And they're all just talking around. And the pastor's wife, uh, she struggled a little bit. She wasn't as up and optimistic, right? And so they were just, instead of being concerned and compassionate, they just tearing her apart, you know? What kind of pastor's wife? Hello, you know? And Barb, 
came home and said, and then I started shaking inside and I just, just, I felt my blood pressure going up and then I just said, you ladies, stop that. Stop this right now. We're gonna pray for her and you don't know what she's going through and you, you don't understand her and we shouldn't be talking like this about her and we're gonna pray for her right now. And I, she just thought, and afterwards she was like, oh, what happened? You know, <laughs> did I really do that? Because it's hard to stand up and say something like that. You know, I was so proud of her, and I was like, "You did what? And who was there? And wow!" You know, there's a, one more thing, and I know. Just, I'm gonna stop in a second, but I'm still talking. <laughs> it doesn't count when I'm on the platform. Yes, it does. There's a thing we used to do at a, a church a long time ago. Uh, when somebody would come and they'd start, oh, what I heard about John, did you hear this? Oh, my word. Someone told me that what happened last Tuesday, so they tell the story. See how you all wanted to hear what that was? <laughs> and, and, and so we go like this. We go, oh, you know what? Let's pray for John. And just bow your head and say, you lead. You know, so... <laughs> So the poor guy, you know, you're, you, he's telling the story about John. John did, oh, John, oh, oh, and then I go, oh, yeah, let's pray. You lead. <laughs> oh, that's so ruthless. <laughs> but, it, but it worked, you know, come on, people. Let's watch out for each other. Let's try to uh, set each other up for success on that great day when, when your brother or sister stands before the Lord. You want it to go well for them. And you want it to go well for uh, you as well. Amen. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time talking about our words, what we should not be doing and what we should be doing and how we need the Holy Spirit. We pray that you bless us now and help us make sense of all of these uh, things, put them into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.